all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family. From mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions, whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. Good morning, and thanks for tuning in today. You're listening to Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today, joining me in the studio, we have Wendy Mahoney. She's the Executive Director for the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And we are going to be closing out October talking about domestic violence awareness because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. If you have a question or a comment for us, you can always email us, fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm absolutely wonderful. How are you today? I am great. It's Halloween, uh, which is my absolute favorite holiday in the world. And of course, this is radio, so you can't see me, but I am dressed as a fork in the road. So let your imagination do what it will with that. Um, but I'm so glad to have you today. Uh, I was talking with you before the show. We've all, I've almost been doing the show for six years, and that's the first show that we've done about domestic violence. And I'm a little bit embarrassed about that, but we're going to fix it today and we're going to do that. Um, and I couldn't be more thrilled uh, to, to close out October with you here. So I guess the, the you know biggest place to start is just when we say the word domestic violence, what does that entail and what does that mean? Okay. Well, domestic violence is a pattern of behavior. So I have to reemphasize it's a pattern of coercive behavior. Okay. And it's rooted in power and control where an individual in an intimate partner relationship uses their power and control to humiliate, demean, degrade um, the other person. Uh, And it comes in different forms, as we know. But really, when you think about domestic violence, it's not just a single incident. It's a pattern Pattern. of behavior. And, you know, we, we see it depicted a lot in movies and on television, and it's largely always depicted as physical abuse. And it, that's not always the case, right? That is correct. Physical abuse, everybody knows that hitting, punching, slapping, knocking down, all of those things. But there are other forms as well. There's emotional abuse and emotional abuse is about the feelings, hurting someone's feeling, saying those demeaning and degrading things to hurt someone's feeling. And it's with intent. 
to do so. Then there is psychological abuse and where psychological abuse is affecting a person's state of mind, their state of being um, to the point where you start to do things to make a person feel as though they are not knowledgeable. They don't know what they're doing and it affects your overall physical and psychological state of being. Okay. So, and those are the ones that people use and they are used together to get the desired outcome that the abuser wants. And they're very strategic in that. Then there's also financial abuse. Then, as well as financial abuse, that can be religious abuse. Well, let's talk about financial abuse. Financial abuse is withholding um, different things from an individual, such as their basic things they need for their basic needs, such as withholding money, um, not allowing them to have food and different things to take care of themselves, to just live, Uh, giving an individual an allowance and saying, this is all you're going to get out of your own paycheck. Um, Again, it's a pattern of behavior and it's coercion. It's, it's a continuous thing where, you know, you don't have sense enough to take care of your money. So I have it, you, you know, you, your paycheck. And we've had incidents where individuals have uh, given someone, you know, $5 a week. They going to work every day, but this is all you have, you know, so you're not, you know, what lunch on a day-to-day basis can you buy with $5, that type of thing. So the financial abuse um, is very, very strong because it, the intent is to make sure that you cannot take care of your basic needs Um, that we know money you have to have to be able to take care of those specific needs and religious abuse. It comes in many forms as well. Using, uh, religious beliefs and values um, to coerce someone to do something, uh, making them feel as though this is what, you know, you should do because right. of our religious beliefs and values. And I'm sure that these kind of exist on a continuum where, you know, multiple forms of abuse can be occurring at at the same time um, and they may even escalate, you know, something that does not start out as a, a physical abuse may kind of escalate along that continuum, right? Absolutely. Yes, it is. Everything is on a continuum because even with the physical, the physical most time doesn't start with a punch, a slap or throw you into the wall. You know, it's a, you know, you know, slap, you know, uh, you almost think, oh, it's a playful slap Mm -hmm. or whatever, but, you know, just slap like that or um, just even pinching, uh, people don't even think about their pinching until your your skin turns, you know, colors or whatever. So all of those things, it starts somewhere. Mm-hmm. And then most times because the abuser is designed to get their needs met by the behavior that they're exhibiting. So what tends to happen is it does escalate Mm -hmm. and it escalates based on what they know works best to get the desired outcomes that they want. So let's talk about domestic violence in the state of Mississippi. What's kind of the scope of the problem here? Well, the scope of the problem here, you can even see in the media. And the media gives a snapshot. So if you are looking and you realize, oh my goodness, is this really going on? Yeah. Magnified. You know what I'm saying? And I think most of the times we hear about 
some of the real horrific mm-hmm. stories, but there are thousands of other horrific stories in this, in our state around the country and around the world. Domestic violence, uh, just overall, one in three or four women may experience domestic violence in their lifetime and one in seven men. Now, that's just reported, but you have to think about domestic violence is intimate partner relationships. Who is most of the time you don't report you're not saying what's actually going on. So it is very, very hard to quantify mm-hmm. the impact or the effects of domestic violence overall. What we tend to do to be able to find out is other issues that come up asking the question, have you experienced domestic violence either in your childhood or as an adult? Most individuals who even are incarcerated have experienced domestic violence. National statistics show about 85% have experienced Mm. some form of domestic violence in their lifetime. So we know the numbers are vast. Um, We even take a look at uh, the intersectionality of domestic violence and alcohol use or abuse. The numbers are alarming. Mm -hmm. So domestic violence intersects with almost every social issue there is. And we call it intersectionality because you cannot deal with one oppressing issue without looking at all the other issues that that are out there. So. It's huge. It's huge. So we don't have, I can't say specific, you know, you know, in 2021, we had this number, you know, in law enforcement, put it to you like this. The number one cause that law enforcement goes to are what? Domestics. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? The numbers are there. The information is there. Uh, Domestic violence is an issue Mm -hmm. that is more prevalent that we want to realize or recognize or even give attention to, but it's huge. And we are finding more and more that people either bury their head in the sand or, oh, that's their business or I don't want to deal with that or whatever, but the numbers are alarming. Yeah. And I want to circle back to one set of numbers that you did give me because it's, it's very important to remember that this is not just something that happens to women. So you mentioned one in three or four women, one in seven or eight men. Um, and that's important because that's often not something that we do see portrayed um, in movies and television and those kinds of things, but it absolutely does occur. Um, you know, the other uh, health topic that we talk about a lot in October is breast cancer awareness. And we did a show a couple of weeks ago on that. And we made sure that we talked about male breast cancer um, because true. these are often kind of patterned as female issues, but they are not solely just impacting women. They're human issues. They're human issues. I adore that. And you also have to think about the kids that are then involved um, in in these households that are going through this. All right, Wendy, tell me about the coalition and your involvement with that. Okay. The Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence has been around for 42 years. We are a statewide organization. Our mission is to bring about social change through advocacy, 
technical assistance and public awareness. Um, the organization is set up to support and be the premier organization in the state uh, around issues pertaining to domestic violence. There are 56 other coalitions in the U.S. states and territories. So every state has a coalition and we all deal with the same issues. And we're federally funded through the Family Violence Prevention Services Act and the uh, Family Violence Prevention Services Act and the Violence Against Women. Act. Those are two acts that exist for coalitions to exist. I have been with the coalition for nine and a half years. Um, came on this journey not even thinking about domestic violence. Actually had been in mental health and other areas of social service field for um a number of years, I'd say that. <laughs> uh twenty something years. Uh and so Actually was just looking, you know, for another opportunity and um, the job looked at the job description and I'm like domestic violence and realized by just reading on it, I had experienced domestic violence in a household growing up and didn't really realize it was it had a name to it um but knew early on in my parents marriage um that there were some volatile things and there was isolation um there was control uh and those type things and was like how did all of this happen and then realized also in my marriage that um I had experienced some domestic violence as well. The again, isolation, control, emotional, psychological abuse as well. Not physical, but the emotional and psychological, which is very damaging. Uh, individuals think about physical. You know, you heal from that. You know, you know, somebody hits you in the eye or you know punch you or something like that. But the emotional and psychological, it really impacts who you are. It makes you question your abilities, your capabilities, um, and those type things. So I experienced it. So being able to be the executive director of a statewide organization with the experience, the personal experience uh, has been great to bring about some systemic advocacy throughout our state to make sure that things such as grounds for divorce uh, in Mississippi, where it used to be a habitual, cruel and inhuman treatment. Now we change things to spousal domestic abuse to be able to implement um, laws throughout the state to help systems understand domestic violence more, work with law enforcement, courts, uh, and different things like that, and provide support and resources to our 12 shelter programs and you know, do all the other things with other victim service providers. It has been phenomenal because of the experience. And my greatest desire is to combat domestic violence, even though some days I look at it and it feels like it's just, it's, it's a huge task. So we just chip away at what we can. Yeah, it it is. And, and it's like that with a lot of different things that you look at, but it's people like you that show up and continue to help chip away at it um that that really makes ground and you know i'm really glad that you mentioned or really emphasized the importance of that emotional abuse that controlling you know i see patients usually that are trying to get better control of their blood pressure or their blood sugar or they want to lose weight all of these different kinds of things and a, and a lot of the times 
I'm talking to them about what they eat. And that's when I've gotten information from them about, you know, the control that's occurring or the shame that is occurring around food. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then we start hiding and eating and then that leads to binge, just, you know, binge eating and and these whole um, other kinds of things. And it's you can't fix one without addressing the other. other, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's that intersectionality. Intersectionality. It is. It is. So, you know, you didn't realize that you had grown up in in a home that was having some issues until later on. What are some of those red flags that kind of stand out that people may go, oh, I didn't really catch that, but that is something going on. Well, some of the key things are isolation from family and friends, not wanting you to have friends or saying that person's not good for you. They don't care anything about you. You know, I'm the only one that cares. And the spotlight is always on them and what they can do for you, how they uh, are the ones that you need to always listen to. Don't listen to other people. Then it it. The control and isolation gets to be where a point where they put all of their emphasis in that and you are away from people who you love and care about and who care about you as well. Um, Those are some red um, flags. The control, your phone, Mm. you know, constantly wanting to know where you are, what are you doing, what time you get back. You know, if you went somewhere, it took you too long. uh, What were you doing? Blaming you. Um, A lot of times it's blaming you for uh, having an affair or looking at someone else and different things like those. Those are some major, major red flags to look for. For I know a lot of individuals will say, oh, my goodness, they just they love me. You know, they care so much. They just want to know where I am and and uh, how I'm doing and that type of thing. But when you think about it, when it's It's a pattern of behavior. It's consistent. It's all the time. And then it escalates when they cannot, you know, locate you. um, Then you can feel the tension and how that buildup occurs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it it sounds like it probably starts kind of subtle almost. um, And then just kind kind of builds and creeps in there and then. You, you wake up one day and you're like, what, what happened? You know? And so if we've got listeners that maybe, you know, the, the bells ring in for them, they're like, Oh, this may be an issue. What are some resources that are available to help folks that are victims of intimate, intimate partner violence? Yeah. Well, <clears throat> one thing is calling our national domestic violence hotline and the national hotline where it gets, about 20,000 calls a day. Wow. And that's from all over the country and U.S. territories. And individuals can call there and just process what's going on so you know that if this is abuse or not. And that hotline number is 800-799-SAFE. S-A-F-E. And so calling the National Domestic Violence Hotline is one great resource where you can just process. And then if you're talking to the hotline, what they typically do, if you need additional resources in Mississippi, they'll direct you 
to us, whether it's to the coalition or directly to a shelter program in your specific area. And you have to remember also, a lot of times people say, a shelter, I don't need shelter. The average person is not going to a shelter, but they're a program. So they may have counseling, they may have other resources in your local community that they can help you with. Because at the coalition, that's the same thing we do is refer you to someone in your specific area that can best assist you. So um, those are some ways that you can get some immediate help just to process. Cause sometimes mm-hmm. you don't even realize how bad it is until you talk to someone else or till you process it yourself with someone and realize, Oh yeah, this, yeah, this it's a problem. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. And that's, that's what is needed. So if someone was to contact the, the coalition here in Mississippi, what are some things that you would kind of expect if you were that caller? So you might, not get kind of thrown off guard. Well, basically, first of all, we asked the first question, are you safe? Mm. Are you safe? You know, individuals call us from their vehicles, call us from the next room, call when they get to work, just so many different things. First, we ask, are you safe? Okay. And are you maintaining safety, you know, as best you can? Because sometimes you have to figure out how to be safe in an unsafe situation. Right. And so, and then we... Because we don't do crisis, you know, calls. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not, we don't do the processing part with you. We're a referral source. So we find out what area of the state that you're in and what you may need based on an assessment. And then we'll send you um, to a shelter program or other resource that can best assist you. And that that's wonderful. And you can just Google Mississippi Coalition Against, against domestic, domestic Violence. And it pulls up a ton of great information. And what I really appreciated, because I've been playing around on all the websites this morning, is there's like a quick closeout feature on all of those yes. websites. That way, if somebody happened to walk in that didn't need to be seeing your business, it just immediately closes down. It does. Um, immediate, when it first popped up, I was like, what's that for? And then I said, oh, silly girl, that's what that's for. It's a built-in safety feature, which that I really, is correct. Uh, really appreciated there. Um, you mentioned kind of education um, and resources are some of the things that you guys do. Do you go and do talks for different groups that want to know more information yes, about yes, domestic yes, violence? Yes, we do. What we try to do is refer to the shelter program because they're local. Mm-hmm. And if um, they're not available or if it's a topic that the coalition's expertise can do, yes, we do presentations to bring about awareness because we all are in it together. Our tagline is together we have the strength. So together we can do it. Yeah. So I'm a healthcare provider, right, who we don't get a ton necessarily of training in how to counsel or address when someone discloses um, a concern for domestic violence to us in the office setting. If there's one thing you could kind of tell a healthcare provider to do if somebody tells us that, what, do you, what, okay. what should we do? Well, first of all, we have a um, protocol for healthcare professionals on our website. Um, we put that out there so that you can download, see, know what the laws are, where to go, where all the shelter programs. But first thing is always to ask the person, are they safe? Mm-hmm. And never say, oh, you need to leave because we know that when an individual seeks to leave a relationship, a domestic violence relationship, they are five times more likely for, you know, um, death, right. you know, imminent danger. So don't say leave, 
Ask them, are they safe? And how they perceive being safe. Mm-hmm. Ask them to describe what that looks like for them because it could look so- like something different for you. Just ask the question um, and then just get more, be open to listen and hear their story and and ask them. Sometimes when you say, how can I help? Mm-hmm. That opens the door for them. And instead of you telling them, oh, you need to do this, this, this and this, because a lot of times the individuals that you probably see are not going to go to a program. Sometimes they just need a listening ear or to understand what they're going through and the impact that it's had on their lives. And what we do is give them resources. So usually once an individual reads or better understands the cycle and what they're dealing with, then it takes them some time to choose to leave that particular relationship. Because also when an individual tries to leave, um, usually on average, they try to leave about eight times before they finally leave for good. Mm -hmm. So you have to also know that as a provider is that they're probably not going to leave right away, but they have to put some pieces together um, to do so. So we just say, be a listening ear, ask them, are they safe and lead them to resources. And, you know, the first time that was ever disclosed to me, you know, I kind of, I was like, oh gosh, what do I do? But it really was that just hush and listen. And I just said, tell me how I can support you. You know, And it just led to just a whole bunch of words coming out. Um, And ultimately, we were able to get her connected to some different resources and get some help. And um, and she ultimately did get out of that situation. So um, it it can be scary the first time that's disclosed. But I do want to give you guys um, a shout out for putting that toolkit that you have available on your website. So if you're a healthcare provider out there listening, um, I highly recommend going to the coalition website and looking at the resources they have and just printing out a copy of that and keeping it in your clinic. That way it's there if this ever um, comes up for you. I'm Josie Bidwell. Joining me today, I have Wendy Mahoney with the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Um, if you have a question or a comment for us today, I know this can be a relatively sensitive topic and so you may not want to call in and that's okay you can email me fit at mpbonline.org and I'm happy to help you however I can all right there is a special program that you guys have for teens right which is I think a really important distinction to make when we say the word domestic violence we often think about that occurring um, within uh, you know a couple that cohabitates together right either a married couple or someone who is um, living together but it absolutely can happen um, in just dating couples that don't live in the same house. Um, and then you couple that with with teens that are already struggling in so many different ways. or trying to figure out who they are, what they want to be, and how their kind of place in the world. Talk to me about the teen program. Yes, our teen program started in... 2014, where we started working with a group of teens um, to just kind of figure out what were their ideas or perception around dating and dating violence. We did focus groups throughout the state. Uh, We did a pilot project at one of the schools in Jackson Public Schools and pulled some data together. And we realized to have the best programming for teens, we needed to hear from teens. Mm -hmm. So we developed the Teen Advisory Council. And our goal with the Teen Advisory Council is to educate them to be ambassadors 
throughout the state when it comes to dating violence in their own communities, um, school, church, and other places within their community so that they can really talk about, because they're the ones that are seeing it. Mm -hmm. And I was just blown away by some of the comments um, that some of the teens said, oh, that's their business. Oh, she liked to be beat up. Oh, well, you know, she, you know, and I'm like, what? Are you serious? They were like, yeah, you know, what am I to do? And so we realized that education was vital for the teens. The same red flags, same issues in um, domestic violence itself, you know, the whole intimate partner violence Issues are the same, but the focus with teens is talking about healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. What is a healthy relationship? It's mutual respect. Um, if someone is isolating you from your family, you need to be aware of that. If someone is controlling you, where you're going, what you're doing, uh, you need to be aware of those things. So our dating violence uh, for teens is one of the things that we realized that that's where we're going to do some real good prevention is really to be able to give them the resources and information early on so that they would know what to expect and to know what a good, healthy, mutual, respectful relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. So that's that's what we did. And so now we are recruiting four teens throughout the state. Okay. Um, and we want to make sure that teens, if you are interested, Go to our website and take a look. Click on our teen program. Um, There's an application there as well as um, more information about the program. We are having a teen summit in January. I want to say the date is January 28th, and it's a Saturday. And so we're getting the save the date information for that out shortly. But we want teens to come together and understand what dating violence really is. Statistics show that um, dating violence is at a peak from age 18 to 24. That's the dating violence. That's the age group. And we say 18 to 24 is like, wow, well, you think about it. You go out to college, you're doing your own thing, you know, you're not as close to parents and family as you, you know, in that same Mm -hmm. capacity because you're starting to work, you're starting to, you know, be out in the world more. And so it's much easier to be, you know, for someone to control you or isolate you. So that's that age group. And our goal with our teen advisory council and doing the teen activities that we do is to prepare teens before they go off to college so that they know what to do. And even being able to have them to take resources with them. We've had some collaborative relationships with um, Jackson State University, Mississippi State University as well, and other colleges and universities, uh, Heinz Community College, Homes. But we've been able to say, hey, make sure that you are putting this information out, that you're making sure that 
this population knows what's going on because it's much easier to hide those things at that age group because this person says they love you. This person says, you know, uh, we're going to be together forever if you do this. And so that coercion, it happens and it's easier to happen in those particular age groups. Yeah. Well, that's just part of the the develop, the way the brain develops it in that, is. that, that is age correct. group. That is correct. <laughs> so um, what about resources for parents maybe that, kind of are starting to recognize some of these symptoms in their children because I'm raising a teenager um, or I'm trying to raise a teenager and if it is my idea it he it is garbage like <laughs> that is correct that is correct it's really difficult yeah. as you know for teens um, being able to keep up and, and maybe sometimes just having a conversation you know about healthy relationships mm-hmm. with it you know because we talk about healthy eating you know what's a healthy relationship there's information out there about healthy because you know that they're going to have relationships you know best friends or a dating relationship mm-hmm. so if they do and the one of the things that I, I say all the time is that as a society we teach kids all different things you know they starting out in preschool your abcs your one two threes colors and all of that but as human beings the number one thing we do not teach is how to be in a relationship mm-hmm. whether it's a best friend right and you think about it even in preschool they come home saying they like somebody <laughs> Yeah, they do. So how have we missed it as a society? Mm-hmm. Well, we never teach. Oh, it's so cute. Yeah, it's cute. But have you taught your child how to be, what? what's meaningful? You know, and even when they start, and we know this is a part of development as well, when they start to pull back and say, oh, it's mine. I don't want to share this, that, and the other. And you say, no, you're supposed to share. But also, why do you share? Right. What's important about sharing? What's important about keeping a relationship? How, why don't we talk about it? How, how can we start to have those conversations much earlier about healthy relationships overall? Mm-hmm. Once we start to do that, then an individual recognize, even though we know adolescent behavior is what it is, but at least they would have been introduced. Right to what's healthy and what's unhealthy. So there are a number of resources out there um, when it comes to that. We will have a parent adult workshop uh, connected to our teen summit as well. And we felt as though that was important because a lot of um, teens are connected with youth leaders, youth pastors, community organizations. And we want those individuals to have the information and resources as well. So it's very important to make sure that teens understand er as early as possible what that looks like. Yeah. And I I love that approach. And I hadn't really thought about it in that, in that way in dealing with this particular subject, but it's what I teach when I talk about healthy eating with, with kids, right? Like I'm trying not to make it a confrontational um, situation when I'm talking about maybe making slightly better food choices. It's more about just educating on what those foods are and how you build a plate. And then, just continuing to provide that information and just kind of plants plants seeds, so to speak. And so that's a really good approach because as soon as you start to um, push hard on a teenager, they either shut down, or they push right back, or they do the direct, 
the direct opposite of that is correct. <laughs> whatever it is you uh, wanted them to do there. And I think prevention starts early. Mm-hmm. So if you're starting with, you know, your six, seven, eight year old just talking about relationships, mm-hmm. you know, that you're going to have various different kinds of relationships. Right. There's the mommy, daddy, you know what I'm saying? You family relationships, what those should look like, uh, you know, friends, you're going to have friends in school that you get along well with. And then there are other people, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just those basic conversations and take it to the next step and say, you know, cause when I told my girls and I was like, you know, you're going to like a boy, a boy going to like you. And then when he, you know, you're going to get that little funny feeling. No, nah, ain't nobody getting a fun. Yeah. You're going to get you the will funny one fe- day. Yeah. You will get that funny feeling. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, joined in the studio today by Wendy Mahoney with the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Um, And we've had a lot of great content that has... um, that we've gone through today and a lot of important numbers that we've given out. If you need more information about any of those things, please don't hesitate to email me fit at mpbonline.org. Um, in this last uh, segment of the show, I really want to focus on um, a safety plan. Um, that is something that we kind of throw that word around a lot. Um, but if someone is thinking about how to, get ready maybe to leave one of these situations. Like you mentioned, they've often tried multiple times before. Um, what is a safety plan and how do you make one? Okay. Well, a safety plan is individualized because every one situation is different. It is totally different. But usually what we say is important documents, make copies. So if you're at work, um, make sure that, you know, you have a copy of your driver's license, insurance, important papers and documents that you keep that uh, and keep them in, you know, a place that you can access. Um, we have different things that have been made to put things in, like, and be honest, a tampon box, mm-hmm. an empty box, but it's your safety plan box. Something that put, probably nobody else yeah, is going to go right, in. <laughs> exactly. And you're putting your important documents and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, kids, you know, immunization, just all those type right. things you need to make sure you have because if you choose to leave and you have to be strategic because when you make up your mind to leave, you're already focused on leaving and the anxiety and all of those things, you're not going to remember in the moment to get those type of things. So you would get those important things like that. Um, you know, have another to get another cell phone. So there's so many different things based on where a person is. Where are they? Where will they be going? Well, are they going to a shelter? Are you going to a family's house? Have you saved money to go and move in another state? What are the resources there? What will you need to move if it's the kids going to school? That type of thing. Right. Uh, so it just depends on where the person is how they want to strategize leaving. And so usually a safety plan is sitting down with someone else to kind of help you process that through based on what your specific needs are and what your plan is and where you're going. Right. And, you know, each time if you decide to go to a shelter, a lot of times they can't help you, 
get all those documents over again. But however, if you've been able to copy those over a period of time, mm-hmm. um, that type of thing, or if you go into a family's house and you have kids, I think most of the time when you have kids, that's the biggest issue, where they're going to go to school, making sure you have all of their records, that type of thing, so that there isn't a gap right, in their uh Education, And also what happens is individuals leave and the abuser knows that they're gone. They go to the school and halt everything. Mm-hmm. So it's important to have those records with you. Uh, any documentation uh, that can validate, you know, what you're going through, where you've been, medical records and different things like that. A lot of times people don't think about all those things, but it's so important, especially if you're going to another state or something like that. Um, So safety planning in that regard. Would you tell the school? It depends what your situation is again. You know what I'm saying? Uh Yeah. It it just depends. Mm -hmm. You know, Um, we know in some situations people just left and, you know, the school didn't know or whatever until they got somewhere safe mm-hmm. and then they communicated back what was going on. Gotcha. So it just seems like I say, it's different based on what a person and the level mm-hmm. of abuse and what the abuser will do or has the capacity to do. Because again, we know statistics show. And also if a gun is in the home, it increases um, for imminent danger, 500%. Wow. So the numbers are alarming if mm-hmm. there's a weapon and that level of coercion with the weapon and the fear that comes along with it uh, is enormous. What about legal protections for folks who may be trying to get out of a situation? Well, the Coalition One program that we do have is our legal services referral system. Individuals can um, call our office and uh, we take them through an intake if you need a divorce, protection order, child custody, um, child visitation, those uh, civil matters. We can assist. We collaborate with uh, North Mississippi Rural Legal Services and Mississippi Center for Legal Services to be able to um, provide those services. And then we also have a pool of attorneys um, that are able to provide those supports and resources and consultation uh, to individuals as well. So um, give us a call at the coalition to be able to get that additional information that is needed. And we'll, you know, kind of help you navigate through that and get you to the right person that you need. Yeah, absolutely. So before we before we go, I do want to push out a couple of those um, that website again. So the Mississippi Coalition Against Domestic Violence, um, and then also those numbers that you gave out the national hotline if folks are needing assistance one eight hundred seven nine nine SAFE like S A F E, um, and then the Mississippi hotline as well was on there one eight hundred. Eight nine eight three two three four. Those are great places to start um, if you're looking for support and information. Um, I spent a lot of time on the website this morning and could spend hours more on there. There's so many great resources on there and great tips for if you're if you can't leave. 
right now, you know, different ways to build in just extra layers of safety and protection for yourself. All right, guys, we are all out of time for today. We've given you lots of great information. If you want more information, you can email me fit at mpbonline.org. Thank you, Wendy, so much for coming today. And Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'll have you back. Don't worry. And thanks to Kevin Farrell, our wonderful producer. Make sure, guys, you tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. And you can catch up on any missed episodes by searching for Southern Remedy wherever you get your podcasts. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and funding is provided in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and support from listeners. Remember, guys, that I love to bring you interesting content each week. If you want to hear something on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you can email me your show suggestions. I love to hear those that way. I'm Josie Bidwell, and you've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.